everyone? All is good, right? I'm going to take a few moments before we actually get into the message. I want to do like a quick little commercial, if if that's all right, if you'll allow me to do that. Uh, I want to thank everyone who was involved, who came out and helped out with Operation Inasmuch yesterday, to those who actually got out and cleaned the windows and the storefronts, and those who watched the little children so that some of us could actually get out and do that. And and I want to offer this just real quick, that to some, it may seem kind of like a small thing to do to get out and sweep the, the, the sidewalks in the downtown business district, or to some, it may seem like a, a small thing to, to get up with a broom and knock down cobwebs and actually take Windex and clean the, the windows on the shops. Like, I, I can see how some people might say that it seems a bit insignificant and trivial to take a scrubber, a power washer, and, and power wash the sidewalks in, the, in that district. And I, I want to offer you this real quick. Um, what I did last week, I took an afternoon, and I went shop to shop in the downtown district. And I wanted them to know what we were about to do on Saturday. And it offered me, like, these wonderful opportunities to have, like, these great conversations with folks here in town that are leaders and shop owners and business owners and whatnot. And, and it was just really cool to say, hey, on Saturday, we're going to, like, clean your storefront. And one person was like, okay, great. Uh, who do I make a donation out to? And I'll, I'll, it was a little tempting. But then I said, no, 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 no. I was like, I was like it's on us. It, we're, we're doing it just to do it, just to be a blessing. And, and I said, so we don't want a donation. We don't want a contribution. And it, it kind of floored them a bit. And a couple of people during that asked, well, why, why in the world are you doing this? Because it's weird and awkward. And who does this? And so it actually allowed me an opportunity to talk about church and talk about God and talk about being the love of Jesus in town. And, and so relationships were made and strengthened and seeds were planted. So to all of you who watched children and got out and sprayed Roundup in, in the streets, because some of our streets have like weeds coming up through them, to all of you, it's a big deal. It, there is an opportunity to minister to, to the town uh, through events like Operation Inasmuch. That's why we do the free yard sale. That's why we do the living nativity scene later in the year. That's why we do the free Thanksgiving meal later in the year. That's why we do the Crate Myrtle Festival. That's why we go to Haiti. That's why we do all of these, all of these things. That those things are just part of the, the greater overall strategy that we have of saturating this town with the love of Jesus. The, the vision for Anthem Church isn't to have 800 people enjoy this nice, big, elaborate, wonderful church service on Sunday mornings. I mean, I, I do be, we are, in fact, growing, and, and I believe that God will continue to bless us and add to our numbers. But I'll be honest with you, that's not the point. The, the, vision, the vision for our church is this. It is the hostile takeover of Andrew in the love of Jesus. It is just infiltrating every minute corner that we can get our hands and feet into and saturating this place with the love of Christ so that everyone around here can be exposed to the grace of God so that it gives us an opportunity to actually love our neighbor as we love ourselves and as we sang and prayed that we would fill this town with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. So thank you to everyone who participated with that. We're going to have lots of opportunities. I'm, I'm working on something really unique toward the end of this month 
So I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger there. We'll get out more information about that uh, here in the next few days and week or so. Uh, but we're going to have opportunities throughout the year. I do want to thank Caleb Riggs. He took point on coordinating the event, the supplies, the, the T-shirts and all of that. So thank you, Caleb. And Justin went out of his way to get the scrubber and take it back to Home Depot and all of that. So we can't do what we need to do without people stepping up and, and taking ownership of stuff. So thank you guys for all of that. So that's enough of a commercial. I digress into what what it is that we're actually here to do, preaching, right? So here's some sermon. Here's time for the sermon. So open up your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're going to spend our morning in Psalm 50 and 51. We're going to be bouncing back and forth between Psalm 50 and Psalm 51 this morning. If you, if you don't have a, a Bible with you, we do have, we'll have the verses on the screen for you. What, I, what we're doing today is that we're finishing up, we're closing up a sermon series that we've called Make Me. And the premise behind the series is that we can't make ourselves into the people that we're supposed to be. We can't make ourselves to be that person. Our ego and our pride is such that it fools us into actually thinking that if I strive hard enough, if I strive long enough, if I put my best foot forward and give it the old college try, if I do that, somehow I can manage to become the person that God desires for me to be. And the reality is, no, you can't. I can't. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the ability to make ourselves into the person that we're supposed to be. At my house, I have a six-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and an eight-month-old. And because of that, it is constant, chronic, unceasing chaos 24-7, there is someone crying at every point of the day, and sometimes it's the kids <laughs> on occasion. And part of the reason for all this drama in, in, in the house is due to these kids who think they know it all, right? They, they think they know it all. They think they, there's stuff that they can do that they can't do. And so what they try something out, they can't pull it off, and they get mad, they get upset, they start crying, they get, they get upset. So it's craft time at the G house. All right, let's color the picture, and now let's cut out the picture. And so I'll say, you know what, Emmett, you're only three. Let me cut the picture out for you. No, I do it. All right. So he takes the little scissors, and he starts trying to cut the little thing out, like the little person out, and you know what's about to happen. That head is getting lopped off any moment, and that's what happens. Click. Just like that. Head falls off. Meanwhile, like earth is falling apart. World is over. It's ruined forever. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Like, it's, it's done. And so he's crying, and he's upset. He's mad. He's, he's totally frustrated because he tried to do something that he did not have the dexterity to do. And as adults, folks, we do the exact same thing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he said, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so we hear this. We don't say it, but then in essence, this is what, what happens after we hear something like that. I hear you, God. I got it. I, I got this. I got this. I'll, I'll handle it. You want me to be perfect? All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, let me, give me the scissors. 
I'm going to like start cutting off this, the flaws in my character. Uh, give me the scissors, Lord. I got this. I can do it. I'm going I'm to shed all this temptation. I'm going to fight off all this temptation all on my own. And what happens every time? Catastrophe. We end up <laughs> cutting off something that we shouldn't cut off, in essence. We get frustrated. We get mad. We get irritated. And it's no wonder we're so spiritually exhausted. No wonder we're so spiritually confused. We're fighting an uphill battle, a losing battle. We're trying to do something that we do not have the spiritual dexterity to do. We cannot make ourselves perfect. We cannot do it. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says that it's God who conforms us to the image of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, it's God who accomplishes or fulfills the work that he began in us. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are God's workmanship. So what all that there tells us is that this is, in fact, what God does. He is in the business of making us and remaking us. This is what he does. This is what the Lord does. He's the potter, and we are the clay. And so what we need is for God to actually get his hands dirty and reach into our hearts and mold us into what we're supposed to be, into love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. As, as we go through life, if we're followers of Jesus, our prayer does not need to be merely, God, help me, because I need more than help. Our prayer needs to be a humble, a humble, God, make me. Make me into the person that you created me to be. Make me into a person who reflects your glory and your character. Make this happen in me. And so this is what we've been praying in this series. And so in week one, we prayed, God, make me safe. Make me safe. Lord, I'm scared. I'm frightened. I'm nervous. I'm worried. I'm fearful. I'm anxious. Like life feels like it's imploding all around me. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next. And, and I, something needs to give. And so, Lord, make me feel your peace. Make me to experience safety and security as only can be found in you. So make me safe. And in week two, we pray, God, make me understand. And what that prayer ultimately is, is it's a confession to God. Lord, I'll be honest with you, these, the, I don't, I don't, I'm not satisfied with mere intellectual knowledge. I'm not satisfied with religious information. What I desire is a deep understanding, a rich, profound understanding, and one that is growing of you and who you are and how you want me to live my life. So give me understanding. Help me to approach your, your thoughts, Lord, if that is at all possible. And in week uh, three, we prayed, God, make me know, and specifically, God, make me to know how fleeting and how transient my life is. In other words, how short my life is, that I'm here now and I'm gone now, that my life is but a vapor, it's but a mist. And knowing, Lord, that my life goes by that fast, make it that I live for that which will last. It's good stuff when it rhymes. God, make me to know how, how fast this goes by, so that I cannot store up treasure on earth, but store it where it matters, store it in heaven. Last week we prayed, God, make me walk 
Make me walk according to your ways, God, because if you leave me to my own devices, I'm going to walk a very crooked walk, and that walk is going to end up dishonoring you, harming me, and hurting my loved ones. So, Lord, make me to walk that narrow path, the good path, the right path, the one that's according to your ways. And what we're doing today is that we're praying this prayer, God, make me joyful. Make me joyful. There are few things as natural to being human as this desperate longing for us to be filled with, with joy, for, for our lives to be characterized with laughter and happiness and gladness. Like, is that not what we all want and, and desire? And sadly, the reality is that despite this desperate desire that we all have for joy, most of us, most of the time, live with a deficit of joy. It's, it's as if joy is the new unicorn, right? It's this mystical, mythical creature that no one can catch. And that's what joy is for so many people. I can't get a hold of it. I can't I can't sit on it. It, I, it. it eludes me in every way. And so the, the reality is that there is a world epidemic, and it's not so much a physical plague as much as it is a spiritual plague. The, the people of the world are infected with depression. And it doesn't have to be clinical depression. It doesn't mean that you went to a doctor and the doctor said you have grade such and such depression. I'm just talking about most of us are dealing with varying levels of it. Sadness and despair and brokenness and we're beat down and we're beat up and we're low and our countenance is down and our spirits are broken and there's just sadness in our lives and, and, and most of us live just really kind of unhappy most of the time. And I'm extremely certain that that's not how God intended it for me. I know that some people can go to the doctor, and doctors these days are quick. They'll get their, their prescription card out, man, and they'll write a script really fast for an antidepressant. And there are some cases where that is good and right and appropriate. But most of the time, it is not at all the solution. It's not the solution. The problem with merely taking an antidepressant is that it doesn't address the problem. That's the problem with it. It doesn't actually get to what the issue is. So what we need if we desire joy in our lives is for God to address the issue, which is a matter of the heart. Joy or its lack is a matter of our heart. So we need for God to replace our sorrow with joy. We need for God to replace our brokenness with gladness. We need for God to make us joyful. And what should be thrilling to every single person sitting in here this morning is that God desires that you be full of joy. Like God desires that, you, that his joy would actually be your strength. Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 11, he said, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made what? Full. So God, what he desires, that he desires that our life experience would be fullness, not just of joy, but of whose joy? The joy of God, the joy of Christ. He desires to make us joyful. And so that's what we're getting into. And we're just kind of un going to unpack what it means or, or the means by which God makes us joyful. So let's begin. Psalm 51, look at verse 8. 
It says there, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. So the first thing I want us all to note this morning is that in order to be joyful, we must first hear. We must first hear. I find it completely intriguing and fascinating that the psalmist does not say, oh God, make me to feel joy. He says, God, make me to hear joy. And there's a profound difference between simply feeling joy and hearing joy. What the psalmist here is praying for, he's saying, God, open my ears, open my eyes, open my heart, open my mind to what true joy is and to where it can be found and to how I can experience it. He's not asking for a feeling because at the end of the day, ultimately, joy is not simply an emotion. Joy, true joy, is not an emotion to be felt. It is much richer and deeper and certain than our whimsical, flighty feelings. So he's asking for something way, way much better than simply circumstantial happiness. He's asking for joy. Make me to hear what joy and gladness is. The world we live in is peddling fool's joy. This is all the world does. It peddles fool's joy. Every commercial competes for our attention, and it's striving, it's trying to convince us that what they're selling will make us happy. That's the entire advertising business is on that premise. What we got, you need, and you need it because it'll make you happy. So, whiter teeth. Well, thank you, Crest. That's what I needed. All my life I've been searching for joy, and little did I know that it's whiter teeth that'll bring happiness into my life. Or this one. This one's my favorite these days. When you fly, be sure you fly on a plane that has showers. Like, this is the new thing. Like, okay, like, I didn't know that, but I'm glad, thank you, Jennifer Aniston, for telling me that, that, that what I need in my life when I fly is to fly on a plane with showers, because nothing will make me more happy than getting in a shower at 40,000 feet during turbulence, after some random perfect stranger has been in there. I don't like showering in my shower after my kids. I don't want to be in there with, like, after some dude's been in there. Like, like it's gross, right? I don't, I don't need that. Or... You know, everyone, everyone will like this one because, you know, really what we need for happiness is that we need to buy two tickets to paradise. And we need to, like, go to all-inclusive Jamaica sandals, right? And as, as Michael Scott would say, you know, it's all-inclusive. And you know what that means. All the food and the drinks are free. So that's what I need. I mean, according to Michael Scott, we got to go to all-inclusive sandals Jamaica, and that's, that's it. That's, that's living. And I hope that if, if you come to Anthem Church long enough, if you've been a Christian long enough, that you understand that the things of the world cannot make you happy. The things of the world cannot bring any sense of joy to our lives what, whatsoever. But the world is so stinking loud. It's so insistent. Like it's all day, every day, you need this, you need this. You didn't even know you were missing this, but now you know that you're missing it. So now you're missing it. So you got to have it. And, this, and we start buying into it. We start falling for it. This is why all these thoughts start creeping into our mind. Well, 
Yeah, if I had an extra 500 square feet in my house, yeah, that's what I need. If, yeah, I get it. I need to go to Europe on a European riverboat cruise. Like, that, that's what I need. I need a my pillow. I need a my pillow. Like, my, my five-year-old now, when she just turned five, so a few months ago, Ellie, she got obsessed with the my pillow commercials. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but it just brand a pillow. And she got obsessed. So the four-year-old, she knows her birthday is approaching. She's like, Daddy, Daddy, I want a MyPillow.com. And she would always say .com because that's the jingle. So it wasn't just my pillow. I want a MyPillow.com. Well, so here's a four-year-old. Man, marketing works. The world knows what it's doing. It's crafty. They got my four-year-old to say, Daddy, if I had the pillow, I'll sleep good. I'll have, I'll have good dreams. So we buy into this stuff, and it somehow we begin to think that that's the solution, and it never is. It, it, it's fool's joy. It's a spiritual mirage. You never get there. It never pays off on what it promises. So what we need to do is that we actually need to turn off the world, like tune, excuse me, tune it out, and make room for what it is that we actually need to hear. For, for us to actually live with true joy, we need to stop listening to the world and make room for what it is that we actually need to hear. And so what is that? What, what is it that we need to hear, folks? We need to hear the voice of God. You need to hear the voice of God. Look at Psalm 50, verses 1 and 2. It says, the mighty one, God, the Lord, has what? Has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. God is beauty and perfection. He's beautiful perfection. He's perfect beauty. He's radiant and resplendent. He's magnificent glory, and God has spoken. Do you believe this? God has spoken. A more profound truth cannot be uttered by human lips than to state the truth that God has spoken. Almighty God has communicated with us. We are in possession of his divine words. If this is true, if scripture and the Bible is in fact the very words of God, if God has spoken and it's revealed right here, this is the most amazing thing that has ever taken place. You get this. If divine, almighty, all-holy God, who is perfect beauty, has spoken and it's captured in the words of Scripture, then that is the most amazing, shockingly wonderful thing that has ever been given to, human, to humanity. By the same tokens, if this is not, if the Bible is not God's word, then the Bible is literally the most evil Thing ever conjured up by the human mind. It is the worst trick ever pulled on the, on the human race. It's one or the other. It either is 
fully all God's word or it's none of it. There's no gray in that. It's black and white. It either is or it, it isn't. And I would urge everyone, I would urge you all, read the Bible, explore what it says, explore its claims. See if, in fact, it isn't the, the Word of God. For, for my purposes, I have done this. I have read. I have gone through the pages of Scripture. I have explored what it has says, and I stand before you all, and I stand before God, and I, I'll stand before the world, and I will testify that that is, in fact, the very Word of God. I stake my reputation on it. I'll stake my life on it. I'll stake my family's life on my conviction that this is the word of God, and it's through Scripture that God has lovingly shared what it is that we need to hear. We hear God's voice through the truths that are given to us in, in the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from out of the mouth of God. So if you want to experience true joy in your life. Listen, hear what it is that God has to say, what in fact it is that he has said. He has spoken. And, and what is it specifically that God has communicated to us? What is this thing that he has said and voiced? And it's truth and grace. This is what God has spoken to us. Truth and grace. Joy requires hearing the cold, hard, objective truth. And joy also requires hearing God's loving, infinite grace. It requires both. I want to just begin real quick by investigating this, this truth that we so desperately need to hear, that God has voiced to us through his word. And that first truth that we all need to hear is simply this. We are all natural-born sinners. I thought you were talking about joy, Rick. What's with the doom and gloom? We'll get there. But first, you have to understand, appreciate, and hear the truth, which is that we are all natural-born sinners, regardless of how good you may think that you are, and regardless of how good many of your intentions may very well be. Before the eyes of Almighty, All-Holy God, this is his assessment of all of us. You and me, we are all liars, cheaters, gossips, haters, maligners, slanderers, adulterers, pornographers, selfish, greedy, covetous, self-centered, arrogant, boastful, hurtful, unloving, unfaithful, unkind. It gets better. We invent ways of hurting people. You want to know what the human legacy is? It's prejudice and racism and bigotry. It's people around the world chopping off the heads of others simply because they believe something different. It is millions of people every year being sex trafficked, sold into slavery. It is millions of babies being murdered every year. This is the truth of who we are. That doesn't include that hurtful statement that the husband makes to the wife on the way out the door. 
That doesn't include the, 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 the mom who ignores the children and neglects them. That doesn't include the, the, how we treat a coworker or a neighbor. This is our legacy. This is who we are. This is the truth. Look at Psalm 50. We're going to work our way down, starting at verse 17, 17 through 20. This is God's assessment of you and me. You hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. So what God is saying in verse 17 is that we, all of us, we despise the wisdom of God and we neglect his word. We neglect his instructions. We ignore it. In essence, we're mocking it. Verse 18 says, when you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you associate with adulterers. So what God is saying there is that we glorify wrongdoing and we glorify wrongdoers. This explains our fascination with celebrities. We celebrate celebrity scandals. We celebrate celebrity antics. Why else would any of us know who the Kardashians are if it wasn't for our love of wrongdoing? Why do you expl- how else can you explain the profitability of TMZ? If not for the fact that we love associating and hearing about things that are wrong and scandal and antics. If you don't know what TMZ is, good for you. Verse 19 says, you let your mouth loose in evil and your tongue frames deceit. So in other words, we, we, we speak out of anger for the purpose of lying and hurting and wounding and tearing down. Verse 20 You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. So here's the assessment. We deceive and we manipulate. We twist the facts to to discourage other people. We'll do so even toward those that we say we love, close people. We'll tear them down to make them look bad, just to make ourselves look good. This is the truth. And I understand that the world that we live in today, this postmodern, politically correct world, utterly, patently rejects the notion of what I just shared. It completely dismisses the thought that we are sinners. And the reason why is that the world has bought into the philosophy of moral relativism. And what moral relativism is, is that I get to decide what is good and right. You get to decide what's good and right. It doesn't matter what is actually good and right other than me saying that it's good or right. And you're good and right. Just don't let it infringe upon my good and right and we'll coexist and be happily ever after. You don't judge me. I don't judge you. Moral relativism. What moral relativism is, is actually a denial that there is supreme authority, that there is a God, that he's a supreme judge, and that he exercised supreme authority over everyone. What moral relativism is, is that I get to be judge. And you know that scripture doesn't even allow for us to judge ourselves. Like we all know, we, well, one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible that, that even non-Christians know is, don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. Well, we don't realize that there's also scripture that says you can't even judge yourself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul, the apostle Paul, he says, I do not even judge myself. Why? Because it is not our role to judge. 
It's not, it's not our authority. That task belonged to God and to, and to God alone. He's judged. Psalm verse, chapter 9, verse 8 says, He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. So God is judge, and here's the truth. We are all sinners, and we are born with a sinful disposition against God, with a sinful status before God, and the day is coming, soon approaching, when we will stand before Almighty, All-Holy, All-Perceiving God, Him who knows every minute detail of our lives, and give an account for every thought, every word, every deed, every action in our entire life. And if that's not bad enough, look at Psalm 50, verse 22. It says, Now consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you in pieces, and there will be none to deliver. Is there a more frightening verse in the Bible? Consider this, or I will tear you in pieces, says mighty God. When God ultimately stands in judgment and he judges the sinner, it is not a slap on the wrist that the sinner gets. It is total, eternal punitive rejection of the entire person forever. It is a banishing of the individual into outer darkness. It is an exiling of the person away from anything that is good and toward what is eternal fire. That, folks, is the truth. And it begs the question, if that is the truth, what hope do we have? Is there any hope? Is there any hope? I feel like just letting that sit for a moment. Is there any hope? I'm looking around and I'm seeing some half-hearted smiles. And actually, I'm glad. Because I wanted that previous section to feel heavy. My prayer was for that section that we just came out of, for it to feel a bit dark. Because there's no joy until we hear the truth, folks. Joy, true joy is not possible until you realize who you are. And you and I and all of us are sinners standing guilty before God who knows every aspect of your life. Is there any hope? And the answer to that question is yes. 
the answer to that question is a resounding, absolutely, there is hope. There is hope upon hope. There is the grace of God that relieves all of the sin and all of the anguish and all of the tension and all of the guilt forever and ever. We have access to the very grace of God. Look at Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We can come humbly and gratefully to the Lord and receive grace upon grace. He's willing to be gracious to us despite, despite our moral failures, despite our spiritual shortcomings, despite our godlessness and sin and bad decisions and everything that we've done. Despite all that, Almighty God loves you. He loves you. He is a merciful and forgiving God, willing and able to pardon everything that you have ever done. And all he says is just come to me and I will embrace you with open arms. With your flaws and all, I will remove them as far as the east is from the west. Just come to me and God will just do that. and He will grab you and he'll sit you on his lap forever. Is there any greater delight than tasting of the grace of God? If everything I said before is true, that that is who we are, and then this part is true as well, that God is gracious and is willing and able to forgive every last ounce of it, is there any greater delight than standing before the grace of God? And there's not. There is nothing that brings a greater sense of gladness than knowing that all my sin has been removed, that all the red on my ledger has been removed, and that God is sitting there welcoming me home. There is no greater delight. What, what more do we want? What more can we possibly ask for? Creator God saying, come back, come to me. I will be gracious. I will love you forever. There's no judgment in your future. In fact, I will sit you at my table. I will wipe away your tears. I'm going to feed you and I'm going to bless you for all eternity. I'm going to share the riches of my glory with you forever and ever. That's the home of joy. That's the home of joy right there. That Jesus is God. He is the, the word of God. And, and again, as I quoted earlier in John 15, verse 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And just know this, Jesus didn't simply say that. It wasn't simply wishful thinking. God, Jesus acted for the sake of our joy, and he suffered that we may rejoice. Jesus took action. He suffered that we may rejoice. He experienced sorrows that we may experience gladness. He endured affliction that we may enjoy holy happiness. And the way that he accomplished all of this was on a cross 2,000 years ago. On that cross, he bore our shame. Your sin and my sin was placed upon his shoulders. And he, he took the judgment in our place. He paid the price. He became our sin. He fulfilled the law. And on the cross, he said, I will take your shame and your guilt. I'm going to remove it away from you. I'm going to take the punishment so that you don't have to. 
Those are the lengths to which Jesus went to to secure joy for us. He was willing to take all the bad and all the negative and all the wrong and everything, own it for himself, and it's called the great exchange. He took that, and in its place, we receive righteousness. We receive the joy of the Lord. Those are the links to which Jesus went to that you may experience the fullness of God's joy in your life all the time. A life of true joy begins with hearing the voice of God, hearing the truth of God, and hearing of the grace of God. It begins with coming clean before God so that God may make us clean. In other words, joy begins with confession. It begins with confession. Look at Psalm 51, verse 4. It says, Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The psalmist is confessing to God, I I hear you. I agree with you. I am a sinner. What I've done is wrong, and I stand in judgment against you, Lord. I've done evil what is in your sight. He's confessing it, and I want you all to understand that it is only when we confess our sin and our guilt to shame, it is only there that we can experience the grace of God. It is only in the place of confession. So I ask you all who are sitting here this morning, have you ever confessed to God? Have you ever just came clean with God and been honest with him and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I do sin. Here's here's a list. I, I can't go through the whole list. Lord, we'll be here a long time. But here, here's some things that I've done. I, I confess these sins to you. Have you ever found yourself in that, that humble moment, that moment of prostration before the Lord? Have you, have you ever found yourself in that place where you're confessing to God and in that moment turning and saying, Lord, be gracious to me. Lord, be, forgive me for my sin. And what I'm asking you, have you ever placed your faith in Christ? Have you ever given your life over to the Lord? Have you ever confessed and repented and then said, Lord, I now belong to you because you gave your life for me? Have you ever had that definitive moment in your life? Joy begins there. There is no joy until we come to that place where we confess to the Lord the truth of who we are. And we confess to the Lord that we need his grace. We confess to the Lord that we believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And we place our lives in his hand. And that, that moment of initial faith, of conversion, opens the door to joy because it opens the door to God. It opens the door for us to approach God. For the true Christian, this is the source of true joy. God. For the true believer, this is our source of joy. It's not something apart from God. It is not a a different kind of blessing that God gives. No, the blessing of joy is God himself. True joy has nothing to do with circumstances. It has everything to do with God's presence. It has nothing to do with the circumstances of our life. It has everything to do with God's presence in our lives. Jesus did not simply die on a cross to, to forgive you of your sin. Jesus died on a cross that you may be in relationship with him. That there would be communion between you and him. His his name, Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. 
Right, so God came to be with us, and he died, he was buried, he was raised, he ascended to heaven, he was there for a couple of days, when then he sent his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to indwell believers so that his ongoing, continuing presence would be with us, so that now all who have placed their faith in Jesus, we know him as our daily friend. Like his nearness is our good, and we, so we commune with him daily. And so this is the blessing of joy, that we know that he leads us and that he guides us. He walks with us and he watches over us. The, the blessing is that this, this God who loves us so much, he's protecting us and providing for us, that his presence is with us. That, folks, is joy. That is joy. We are his sheep. He is the shepherd. And the sheep know his voice. Make me to hear joy. I know the voice of my Savior. So Lord Jesus, make me to hear joy in my life. For I struggle every day. Every day is a fight for joy Everything trying to steal my happiness. Everything trying to steal my gladness. Joy. Lord, I'm the sheep. You're the shepherd. Make me today to hear of joy and gladness. Make my bones rejoice. And it is a fight. It is a fight. Every follower of Jesus fights for joy each and every day. And I just, in our closing moments, I just want to share five things really, really fast to help us all to foster the fullness of God's joy in our lives. Number one, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel. Make it a daily spiritual discipline to remind yourself of the truth. I was in a pit I was in a miry pit of despair. I couldn't even see the out of this pit. But Lord, you reached down out of grace and you yanked me out. I didn't even realize I was lost, but you found me. I had no clue I was blind, but you gave me eyes. Preach the gospel. Remind yourself of the truth of who you are and of God's love and grace toward you. Number two. Always, always, always confess your sin. Be quick to confess your sin. As followers of Jesus, we continue to sin each and every moment. Just know that unconfessed sin to God tends to, or not tends to, it will build shame. What sin, unconfessed sin does is that it breaks relationship between us and God. And if God is the source of joy, I can't have joy if there's a break in relationship. So be quick to confess to the Lord. When your spirit gets down because of unconfessed sin, just confess it, repent, and then give praise to God that the sin's already forgiven. I'm going to mess with some of you just right now. If, 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 if you are a follower of Jesus, when you sin, you don't have to ask for forgiveness. I thought I was supposed to ask for forgiveness every time I sinned. No, because all of my sin, past, present, and future, is forgiven. And Jesus knew about all of my sin 2,000 years ago and eternity ago. When he died for me, he forgave all of my sin. 
when I accepted him as Lord and Savior, he forgave all of my sin. Like, so the sin that I, I take part of tomorrow, he already forgave it. He accepted me knowing that sin, even though I don't know that sin yet. So tomorrow when I sin that sin, I don't need to say, Lord, forgive me. What I say is, Lord, I confess that was wrong. I'm so sorry. By your grace, help me to repent and praise you that it was already forgiven. Already. Be quick to confess. Number three, daily practice God's presence. Joy is not something apart from God, but something that is found in God. So if we're going to live with joy, we must be close to him. We must commune with the Lord. The, the reality is that we're all like a sieve. We're porous. And so joy has this tendency of just going right through us. So we need to be filled with joy constantly all of the time. And that is why God gives new mercies each and every day. Because our joy falls out constantly. So God's like, I got new mercies to fill your cup each and every day. So as we come up to, to the Lord in our, in our quiet time, in our devotion time, in our time with him, as we're practicing his presence, he will fill us to overflowing. And we will enjoy these mercies and we'll be joyful in our lives. We need to practice the presence of God. Avail ourselves to the riches that Christ has made available. Be alone with him. Hearken for his voice. Number five, lead others to joy. Lead others to joy. Look at Psalm 51, verses 12 and 13. It says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Do you want joy in your life? Share your faith. Share the gospel. Lead others to Jesus. The point of our salvation this side of the grave is to lead others to salvation this side of the grave. Be a witness for Jesus. Be an ambassador for the gospel. There's nothing better than leading someone to Christ. To being used by God as you're sharing your faith with someone and all of a sudden you see it on their face. And for the first time, they hear joy and gladness. The angels rejoice at that. Share the gospel all the time. The most joyful Christians I know are the ones who actively are involved in the labor of the gospel. They're willing to do operation in this much. They're willing to go to Haiti. They're willing to be a part of a free yard sale. They're willing to teach children on sun, in Sunday school. They're willing to help out with whatever we need help with. They're willing to come alongside other believers. They're willing to give and serve and sacrifice. I skipped one of them, didn't I? I just realized that. Number three was actually seek reconciliation with others. And the reason why is that it's hard for us to have any joy if we have tension with another person. If you wrong someone, ask for forgiveness. If they've wronged you, go ahead and say, I forgive you. Cannot have joy in our lives if we have tension with other people, especially with fellow believers. Just going to close with a C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis, famous writer, theologian, said, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but actually too weak. We are half-hearted creatures 
fooling, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And that, folks, is why so many of us have a deficit of joy. We're kind of easily pleased with the things of the world, where God has offered divine and infinite joy. May we be not easily pleased with the things of the world that ultimately cannot please us. Let us pray, God, make me joyful. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let's pray. Lord Father, I thank you so much for this morning and this opportunity to gather here, Lord, and to just pour out our hearts and and our minds, our souls to you and, and beg of you to do what it is that you desire to do, Lord, and that is to make us joyful, filled with holy happiness. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to approach that more, to approach you, that you have made an opening for us to know you and the the glories of your grace. And Lord, I ask that if there's anyone in this room who has never entered through that door, through the gate of Jesus, Lord, that they would do so now, that they would confess to you and give their lives to you and place their faith in Jesus And if there are any believers in the room, Lord, that are struggling with joy, I ask for conviction now and for challenging that we would take these steps, that we would listen to you, that we would open up your word, that we would spend time with you and seek your voice in our lives, that we would preach the gospel to ourselves, that we would confess all the time, Lord, you already know it. You're not going to turn away from us. You're not going to forsake us, Lord. You embrace us despite all of that. If there are any of us who have broken relationships with others, Lord, let us be quick to reconcile, to share grace with them. Lord, may we be quick to lead others to you. But what joy there is in, in helping someone to discover your grace. May we not be so easily pleased with the things of this world that do not matter. Make us, Lord. Make us the people you created us to be. Make us love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.